Welcome to Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health and host of Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. Stay tuned for an engrossing episode with seasoned mom of two sons, Ann Moss Rogers. Ann Moss is a mental health education expert and a suicide loss survivor. After her 20-year-old son Charles died by suicide in 2015, Ann Moss has reached millions with her advocacy and support for mental health and suicide prevention. You can check out her Emotionally Naked blog at annmoss.com, which has links to her life-changing work. She is a TEDx storyteller, author to the award-winning book Diary of a Broken Mind, and author to Emotionally Naked, A Teacher's Guide to Preventing Suicide and Recognizing Students at Risk. She has been featured in the New York Times and was the first non-clinician to speak about suicide at the National Institute of Mental Health. Listen in as Ann Moss details her family's journey and offers up powerful insights. As a reminder, if you or someone you know is struggling, contact 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline or text the word HOME to 741-741 to get connected to the crisis text line. Check out Ann Moss next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. Before we start, help Motherhood Feels grow by subscribing to the podcast. Leaving five-star reviews can't hurt either. And if you're interested in supporting more moms and families by bringing Motherhood Feels to your workplace, you can connect with me at motherhoodfeels at gmail.com to learn more. You can follow me on Instagram at motherhoodfeels, all one word, and head over to motherhoodfeels.com to check out my self-paced online course, Motherhood Feels, before and even after baby boot camp that walks through evidence-based strategies for healthy coping with all your motherhood feels. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ann Moss. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'm really eager to learn a bit more about you. So tell us a bit about yourself. So I focus mostly on mental health awareness education, and I've become an expert on suicide and suicide prevention and mental health, like uh, early intervention, so that we can intervene early to prevent problems later. Yeah, and so when we have talked in the past, we've talked about the fact that you're a mom. Tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a mom. So uh, when, when I got married, you know, we wanted children. But then I went through this period of doubt because I was kind of pursuing my career and I knew that, you know, my life would change. Then around the age of 28, it was like, I must get pregnant now. <laughs> And I had my first son, and then uh, I had a second son two years later, a little over two years later. Now, my first child was a really tough baby, but then after about preschool, he became really easy. And then my second child was Charles, and he was actually a pretty easy baby, 
but always a lot more complex in other ways. So I think one of the things we notice when we have two children is how different they are. So my oldest child was very focused on being um, logical and he was more analytical. And Charles, Richard was my oldest. And then Charles, the younger one, just passion and brimstone. I mean, it was all, you know, he was driven so much by emotion and his decisions. And if you tried to present him with logic, he would discount you immediately. So I actually had to learn to communicate with my sons in two very different ways, you know, because trying to appeal to Charles with logic just wasn't going to work. And that was an interesting journey because having kind of the same conversation, but doing it differently with either kid. Yeah. Um, So they had, they were really close growing up. And I noticed with Charles early some issues. He's my younger one. I was like, what's going on with him? And, you know, his diagnosis ADHD pretty early. He had impulse issues. But he also was, you know, there was something about him that intrigued people. I mean, from very early on, I mean, he was like the center of attention kind of child. Mm-hmm. He was really funny. He would always his entire life be exceptionally popular. And I always felt like, what is going on with him? And his brain, he was really creative. And his brain wouldn't cut off at night. So we would discover from about 2 to the age of 15, we had a lot of difficulties with sleep. And he would later be diagnosed around the age of 15 with delayed sleep phase syndrome. And that means you can't fall asleep at night until a certain hour. And when he was younger, that was around 9 p.m. Around elementary school, that was 11 p.m. By middle school, it was midnight. And by high school, that was 2 a.m. So, of course, you know, when they're not getting the sleep that they need, other problems are exacerbated. Richard, pretty self-sufficient kid, and but it was Charles that always wanted a lot of people around him all the time. And around middle school, I thought, you know, I need to put him in private school, which was an excellent decision to make. And I only wish we had done the same for high school. And the only reason we couldn't was because all of them started so early and they were too far away and the sleep issue was a problem. And the public school was willing to alter the start time for him based on the death sleep diagnosis. But Charles was end up uh, becoming just kind of a rat, more erratic in behavior in terms of taking risks. Mm. And then he would, he started using drugs and alcohol and I would find out later he was doing that to numb feelings of suicide. Mm. And he would become addicted to heroin, be diagnosed with depression. And he took his life in 2015. And I believe all along, I saw signs of the potential for him, his life to not go in the direction that we would have wanted as parents. But nobody could really 
tell me what to do. And a lot of people dismissed it for, oh, he'll just go out of it. And I'm like, I really don't believe that. But I had nothing, you know, I was always reading things, looking things up. And there just wasn't a lot of guidance out there for me. Yeah, it sounds like such a difficult and long experience that had what is a horrible outcome and a really sad experience for your family. And then to feel like you didn't have anybody to turn to, despite what I hear you saying, which was researching, trying to find answers. And it just probably felt so helpless. I, I did. And I felt dismissed. I've, I've found people that would support me along the way. There was a teacher here and there, which I was very grateful for, a friend here and there. But most people just dismissed my concerns, and that included doctors. And it did. It felt really, it felt very lonely. Yeah. And, you know, I felt kind of abandoned. And, you know, I didn't have... I looked at people who had children with really major disabilities, and I really started to appreciate what they went through, given that I felt like what I was dealing with was so much more minor than a a lot of people had to deal with early on. Because because Charles was so socially accepted and popular, there were a lot of issues that we didn't face that, that other families did. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm also thinking about how you've described this tragedy and how, in what I know about you, you have been working to probably pretty tirelessly help others to proactively manage mental health, substance use issues, so that other people don't have to endure what you and your family have endured. Exactly. And I'm very obsessive and I've done it in a very public way. I'm a public speaker and trainer on mental health and suicide prevention. Parents and education, uh, the education realm is where I plug in the most Mm -hmm. because I don't want anybody else standing in my shoes. I mean, I present to like Head Start elementary school. And also high school, and I do a lot of work in colleges, but there is at no point in the spectrum that intervention and learning cannot happen. Mm-hmm. So there is hope in, in every part of that, no matter how early or how late you are in that journey. You mentioned a handful of different um, challenges that Charles and then, of course, your family experienced from the start, not from the start, you said he was an easy baby, but after about the age of two, where the sleep problems were what sounds like kind of an initial warning sign or challenge. Uh, Tell me a bit about what warning signs you would suggest others look out for. Well, I think the risk taking Uh, And that may be kind of a later sign, but an earlier sign when they're like five, six, seven, maybe 10 years old and under, really that self-deprecating, I'm so ugly, I have no friends, nobody likes me, those low self-esteem remarks that you might hear that I think a lot of parents feel like what they need to go in there to do is cheerlead them out of that. 
And I can understand wanting to do that. But what we really need to do is step back and say, what makes you say that? How come you you feel that way? Do more curious asking of questions. Get them to talk about it because then you can start to figure out what to do about it if you kind of know what's driving that. Same with their fears. You know, and we sort of discount their fears. Like, for example, I don't want to go to the psychiatrist. Well, you know, you made that appointment six months ago and you waited six months. So you kind of panic and you kind of force them instead of saying, well, let's stop right here. Why don't you tell me what you're afraid of? Allowing them to feel heard. This generation of children doesn't feel heard and we're rushed and we're a you know, we're looking at parenthood from a different perspective. And I think one of the things we've lost the most, or really maybe never had to begin with, is listening more and lecturing less and allowing that young person to feel heard because there's so much noise out there. Kids today don't feel seen and they don't feel heard. And we need to allow them to express themselves and tell us why they feel a certain way. And we need to start doing that early. I think that's a really great point. And I like the idea of also slowing things down in order to do that, because we all do tend to move pretty quickly and have lots going on. And it's very easy when a child or an adult brings something up to maybe have a quick quip that does do a bit of dismissing. And when you slow things down, like you're describing, it allows for exploration, curiosity, interest, all the things that help people feel seen and heard. We feel like as parents, it's our duty to give our kids solutions, like we have all the answers. And I really feel like instead of going that punitive parenting, we need to be more of a wisdom guide. So I think we need to ask more questions and let them find the answers and make some of those decisions. Because if we do that, we're helping them create problem solving, you know, and critical thinking skills, and we're helping them to develop that. And I think that is so crucial and so important. And we're in such a rush, we kind of do it for them. And we need to, to back off that and not do it for them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. One thing that I heard you say was that it felt really lonely in this journey. And I'm wondering what you would suggest for other families if they were to notice some of these warning signs when we're in a system sometimes that feels a bit more hands-off. How do you encourage people to advocate for themselves and their families. So I'm just going to kind of give you an example. It's kind of part of a case study I wrote up. And it's not, I'm I'm not a clinician, but uh, someone knew me and she had young children. We knew each other. And um, she came and talked to me and she said, I have a seven-year-old. And he's saying things like, I hate myself. You know, I have no friends. I'm ugly. You know, things I said earlier. 
And she said, the pediatrician dismissed it, but I'm worried. What do you think? And I said, those are definitely warning warning signs that you should intervene early. So in her case, I gave her a phone number locally to call that is sort of a call system and to help her navigate, you know, what to do next. What kind of therapy does he need? So I would suggest talking to the school counselor if if it's not a preschooler, if it is a preschooler, look in your area for parenting uh, type support just to get an evaluation to like at least figure out if it, if you're feeling it in your gut, like something isn't right. Lots of times it's not. Mm-hmm. And just getting another opinion and not allowing everybody to write you off. Because I can tell you, I had this feeling for kids' entire lifespan. And that's a really difficult place to be. So find find people that are going to really give you the answers. Now, if you have a child who is diagnosed with with some kind of issue, National Alliance of Mental Illness, also known as NAMI, as a family support group. And those family support groups are not just for people with teenagers who are diagnosed with bipolar, but it does include parents who have younger children because we all need advocates who are going through this. And we can kind of look to people with older children to see, you know, what signs did they see? I think the support piece is really big. I didn't find that till much later. And I wish I had found it a lot earlier. Yeah, even if it weren't for a child who was enduring challenges, it would probably feel nice just for the family, the parent or whomever else is in the family to have somebody else on the like quote unquote team. Um, while you're right. having all these stressors and, and fears and worries. You talked a bit about Charles and alcohol and substance use as being another concern and warning sign. Tell me a little bit about that. So the first time I really noticed sort of addiction-like behavior, and I was looking for that because it runs in my family and it runs on both sides. My husband has it in his family, I have it in mine. I came in one day to his room and I was looking for something. I think I was just picking up laundry and I looked under the bed and there was just like all these candy wrappers and cookie wrappers. And I realized that my son was addicted to sugar. So it was my first sort of indication that there was an addiction to something, a substance. And it it wasn't alcohol and drugs at that point. And I want to let everybody know that one behavioral addiction or one sign doesn't, you know, paint a whole picture, but it's kind of the constellation of, of a lot of issues. Write them all down because I think it's really important to kind of write it down as you see them. So when you do visit someone, you've got some information to share. So I remember sitting on the bed and just bursting into tears going, I can't stop. You know, I had no candy, no cookies, none of that stuff in my house. And when I did, it was in tiny little bags and they got it at certain times. 
And what he was doing, he was so charming that he'd go in other people's houses. First thing he'd do is head to their pantry, right? Their candy and Coke and anything that had sugar. <laughs> and there wasn't anything I could, I, what was I going to do? Call everybody he went, because he knew everybody. And, you know, it'd be hundreds of people I would have tracked down and go, don't let him in your pantry to eat sugar. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it, we did talk about it, and I talked about it in an unthreatening way. But I, you can't stop that behavior. You need help doing that. I mean, I really don't know what I should have done at that point. Like, later on, I have more kind of guidance, but that was a real shock. Well, I, first of all, want to note for anybody who's listening, but you cannot see mm-hmm. There is what I think is a really handsome picture of him behind you. And I would love to hear any memory you have of him that brings a smile to your face. Because I have a feeling he brought a lot of smiles to you and your family. Oh, my gosh. He was he was so funny. He was the funniest person I ever met in my life. All right. So I'm in my office one day and he is playing one of those video games that at the time you played on a computer and it was called um, something theme park. I can't remember, but you build a theme park. And instead of doing it like everybody else is supposed to do it, Charles would build a theme park focused just on money. And like he would put in all these soda stands And it was free soda. And then he would charge $10 for people to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And then there would be really long lines. And then on the little thing, you would hear them complain. And he would come have the crane come pick them up and drop them in the pond when they complained. (laughs) And it was just hilarious. And I mean, I couldn't concentrate on my work because I would hear... (laughs) this computer game in the background and I would just be dying laughing and he would tell stories and when he would come in and tell stories my son and I the my older son and I would be laughing so hard we would not be able to stay on the little kitchen bar stools and we were always falling off <laughs> onto the floor I was like, oh my gosh I miss that so much how much you made made me laugh it sounds like a clever, clever brain he had and he such did. a great wit and spirit. And obviously, I am so sorry for the loss and this horrible tragedy, Thank but I'm you. also so appreciative of you speaking out and sharing your family's story to help other people. Um, a real selfless uh, act, I think, on your part. Well, thank you. It's not. It does have a purpose of helping me heal too. So I'm not completely selfless. It is um, It is a self-care step, I like to say. And it's not one that everyone would take, but it's certainly, it's helped me a lot. I, I think that this is a great way to heal. And I'm so glad that this is some part of your healing. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you wanted to share? I think that the just listen piece, if you if if your listeners really don't take away anything today, hesitate and and ask with curiosity, 
what made you think of that? Even subjects like death that you might feel like, oh, we can't ask about that. Ask them questions about subjects they bring up and do so with curiosity and uh, not with shame because it'll really, it'll turn up a lot of interesting things about your child that, that you never knew. That's great. I thank you so much for sharing your experiences and for talking to me today. Oh, I appreciate you, you know, for having me and for even bringing up this subject because it can be really tough. Well, thank you, Ann Moss. Thank you.